quickly, I want to make a note. There's sermon notes in the back. Anyone that would like to grab sermon notes this morning, they're there. Uh, those of you who are online, actually on the main page of our website, if you, there's a little tab that says sermon notes. If you click on that, it gives you a PDF if you want that as well. So, um, Okay, so this morning, as Carlin noted, we're, we're going to do something that's a little bit different. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to preach shorter, so, so start praying. Um, and don't look at the time, no. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I do see this morning some sort of continuity with our past three messages. Um, and, and those three messages uh, were like who we are as God's people who we're called to be. And then we talked about uh, holding convictions and loving one another well. And how do we do that? And then and last week, the Norm was here and he talked about maintaining unity in the body. And how do we do that? And, and you know, as, as I've been thinking about this over the last number of weeks. Okay, like, like what's the next step from that? Um, because I feel like the Lord's been calling me to just week by week trust him where he wants us to go. Because some of you might be noticing, you haven't done like a sermon series in a long time. And no, like I'm just listening to the Lord in these days. And, and I felt like, as I was reflecting on it, the Lord led me to Galatians 5. And it's like this, because parts of Galatians 5 are so common, they're so well known, right? It includes all the verses about the fruit of the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. But, but there's specific context within which those verses are written that focus on relationships with one another. When you read through Galatians 5 and even the whole of Galatians as, as a letter, he's, he's getting at relationships with one another there. And then he goes into this thing about living by the Spirit. And, and, I, and I, I wonder sometimes, like, how much do we actually want to contemplate how much of the New Testament focuses on personal relationships in relation to our faith? Because it's a lot. Like if you go through the New Testament, you can go through the Gospels and what Jesus is dealing with. It is, it's so much about relationships with one another as people called by God to be together. And there's, and there's tons of practical application in that regard in the Bible too. And in, specifically in the New Testament. And so, and so what, I, what I see Galatians 5 talking about and this is what serves as my title today, uh, oh, it'll be up there, is Spirit-Empowered Love. Um, now, now, before we get into it, just, just some background, quick context of this text. There's, there was disagreement in the church about freedom in Christ, what it meant to be free in Christ, and all about stuff about religious observances and practices. Some who had faith in Jesus were, had kept or they had added these religious practices see, and, they, and they saw it as necessary for their faith in Christ. Like we have to do this. In order to follow Jesus, you must do this and this and this. And, and so it was sort of this idea of like your salvation in Jesus hinges on what you do or what you don't do. And, and this was the raging debate. That's what led Paul to write Galatians. And, and Paul, for Paul, there's no question what to do. He's, he's saying, look, any, any religious observance, any practices that you're doing to try and earn your salvation are just completely misguided. Like, like don't, don't get into that. And he, and he has some strong language throughout Galatians about that. Really strong language. Now, in this case, as we get into Galatians 5, it, it was this observance of Jewish customs and laws that he's, he's addressing. But the spirit behind it really is 
living by a set of rules that we believe will justify us before God. And, and Paul says that this is precisely what will cause us to fall away from grace, the grace that we need. Like this will keep you from the grace that we so desperately need. And, and so when we craft any sort of system that we determine will make us good enough before God, we're, we're, we're blocking this flow of grace, the very thing that we need. And it's, it's, he's, what he's getting at is this idea that any time we use freedom, the freedom that we've received in Christ, in Jesus, as a way to excuse the sin that we're embracing, there's a problem. It's what, it's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer referred to in, in his writings as cheap grace, like where we just, we, we, we embrace this grace of God, but it's cheap. We're not, we're not realizing what it calls us to. And Paul, in, in that beginning of Galatians 5, he calls these systems that we would embrace, that these, there are yokes of slavery that we take on. This yoke that we wear that then burdens us. Like it, it actually is weighing on us. And we're under the yoke of these expectations of, of we got to do this, we got to do that. And so what was happening in this and what provoked Paul to just such really strong language in Galatians was the way that this was playing out in the relationships within the church, right? The, 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 the differing views about this, the differing views about that, and Paul's getting at how are you treating one another? The expectations that were being put on one another. And it's, and it's within this framework that we have the words in the back half of Galatians 5 that, that are so profound. They're, they're so incredible. Right? Words maybe that we've heard and we've, 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 we're very familiar with, but this live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that's produced in us. And so what we see here and where we're going to go this morning for the next few minutes is that this calling to be free is a calling to sacrificial love. Love that is impossible, absolutely impossible, apart from the work and presence of the Spirit in our lives. And so, if you want to open up to Galatians 5, maybe you're already there. Uh, we're going to read 13 to 15. Well, I'm going to read the verses in, in little spurts, and then we'll work our way through it here. So, verse 13 to 15, it'll be on the screen behind me too. You... My brothers and sisters were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Jesus, would you help us to understand the depths of these words, the truth that you have spoken to us in these words. Jesus, I pray that right now you would help us to have receptive, open, humble hearts. Jesus, would you help us to embrace your example of humility and to walk in that, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we, as we talk about you, as we talk about what you do and how you're at work, Holy Spirit, we invite you here right now. 
We ask you to make us more aware of your presence and how you are moving and operating right now, right here in this room. We invite you to search our hearts. We invite you to work in us and to bring healing and transformation and change in us. We thank you, Jesus, for your power at work in us. Amen. So, I want to talk first about, as we learn, what, what are we learning about this love that we're called to embody in our lives? And first, it's, it's what we see here, what we just read is, it's, it's love for the sake of others. The, the, and this is the danger for us all, right? This, the freedom that we have in Jesus, Paul says here, it can lead us either to bondage or as a reason to live however I want. Like, I'm free. I have freedom. I can live how I want. That, that uh, little phrase there in the Greek, which we, tra- I, uh, my, yeah, my version translated indulging the flesh. It, it, that, that wording there speaks to the state of the human race. That, that it's this, we are in opposition to the work of the Spirit. It's this sinful nature that is opposed to God and, and opposed to the Spirit. It's a, that whole thing that we read in Romans 8, where you either you live by the Spirit or you live by the flesh. And, and, and so it's that thing that's in opposition. And here, it specifically seems to be speaking to our tendency to serve ourselves. That wonderful tendency we have to self-sufficiency, self-preservation, to look out for number one. And, he, and Paul even says here, that, that, that attitude leads us to attack others. And, he, and there's a warning there, like, watch out for this. And so, when, when, you know, it's like when we feel threatened, undermined, misunderstood, not heard, disregarded, what, what, what is it in us that causes us to deflect causes us to ignore our own issues, turning them onto someone else and making them about someone else. Where, where they become the problem. I'm not the problem. They're the problem. Right? It allows, us, it, it allows me to justify my attitudes and my behaviors and the way that I respond to that person. And, and, and it minimizes my behavior. It creates excuses for my behavior. Like, well, I, I, I'm justified in that. And... and this is the ongoing danger that's present in our lives, is it not? I think we all know this. We all feel this. We all recognize this danger. It impacts every part of our attitudes, our responses, our choices. It, it's, it's present in us from the time we're like this tall. It's, it's in us. Like we feel it. Right? It, this, this biting and devouring each other, attacking and undermining others. It, it's, like, it's a daily reality in our lives. It's a daily reality in our schools. It's, it's rampant. I talk to Jess as she's in the school and like, I hear what's going on it's, and it's daily. There's you know, rampant amongst kids who profess Christ. They, they believe in God and they're attacking, they're undermining others. They're biting remarks. They're devouring one another. And we, and we justify it. And th- we've all experienced that. We've all experienced that in our lives. We see it at work. You know, what's, what's been staggering 
One of the things that's been staggering for me to ponder in the Russian invasion of Ukraine was the pretext for the invasion that was set by Putin. How it was laid out in the weeks before they actually rolled into Ukraine where there was this pretext that started to be shaped about why, why they were justified in doing this, in liberating the people of Ukraine. That was the pretext. They, they were coming into the Ukraine to denazify the country. That was the language that was used, right? And so there was this whole pretext that was set. That, that verse in, or that word, sorry, in verse 13, where it's, it's translated indulge or opportunity for the flesh there, that, that was a word in the Greek that was used in military contexts for an offensive being launched at the time. So it's speaking, what it's, what, what it's speaking to is the place from where we form the pretext in us, the pretext that we form in our lives to justify sinful behavior to others. This is the pretext for why I can do this or I can do that and why I'm justified in doing that. But there's a different way. And that's what Paul goes through here. He says, and it starts with rather. Rather. It's, it's like that word, what a, what a huge word to hinge this, this part of the text on. Rather. The way of Jesus is for the sake of others. To serve one another with humility and love. You know, the thing about Jesus is he wasn't one to hardly describe himself when you look at him in in the Gospels. He doesn't go out of his way to like describe who he is. But the one time he does, Matthew 11, and, and it's interesting, it's in an invitation. He says, come to me. Come. Come. If you're weary. He says, come. And he says, I am humble. I'm gentle and humble in heart. He describes himself with humility. We see Jesus, we see him live it out. Right? There's, there's gentleness and there's humility that just flows from him. And that is the church that Jesus is returning for. Jesus is returning for a church that is humble in heart. One that embraces gentleness and humility. It's like in Romans 13, where Paul here, he says the same thing in Romans 13, where he says the entire law, think about that, the entire law, just, just go and read the entire law in the, in the Old Testament. He says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You go back and you read the Old Testament laws and you think about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's everywhere. It's everywhere over the law. Because that's God's heart. Do we, do we stop to ponder, process, assess, like what this means for our lives? Like Philippians 2 gets to the, to the heart of that, right? Putting others before ourselves, seeing and treating others as more significant than yourself, more significant than yourself. It says there in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing. Not a little bit. Nothing. Embracing humility, it says, and having the same mindset of Jesus. Like, do we stop to ponder the extent of that? Like, oh yeah, great, Philippians 2, yeah, I've heard those words, because we talk about them. But like, to stop and go, okay, 
Where, where is this Monday to Saturday, apart from this right here, where is that working itself out in my life? It means a ton of sacrifice. It, it will mean being misunderstood. It will be lots of time. It's going to mean loss. You're going to lose things. It's living radically different than others around you, which is why you're going to be misunderstood because they're going to look at you and go, what in the world is that? Why are you living like that? But this is the way of Jesus. And Paul says here, the alternative is strife, dissension, pride, all that stuff that he gets to here in a few verses down. Perhaps we need to think about it another way. I want to I I put it in a positive light for us. Doesn't it feel great when you encounter someone who is embodying sacrificial love to you? Doesn't that feel great when, you, when someone does something for you where you're like, it's for the sake of others. It's for the sake of me. And we, we love that, right? Like, a few weeks ago, I, I wasn't feeling well, and, and a few of you brought meals for our family. And, and I remember every time sitting down at the table and thanking God with our family for what had been provided for us. Because it's for the sake of others. And we love that. And there's tons of examples, folks, that we, we could cite about how we see that at work in LCF over the years. Tons. Like, I've had probably one of the most problematic garage doors ever. Quint has, he's like, oh my goodness, again? Like, what's with Paul's garage doors? <laughs> I don't know. When we are the other on the receiving end of sacrificial love, we feel God's love being extended through others. And there's so many examples. And, and yet, right, it's the ugliness of pride and selfish ambition that we inflict on others, especially when it's subtle, especially when it's subtle, that leaves us in despair. Right? Like verse 15 are strong words here. Like if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That, that is strong language. But that's how it can feel. Right? Like when we feel attacked, when we feel falsely accused, when assumptions are made, we can feel like we are being destroyed. Like there's a part of us psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, maybe even physically, where we feel the weight of that. And I, and I think this destruction here that Paul's talking about can be in many forms. Anything that tears us down, the words and the actions of others, gossip, you hear that word, you hear someone talking about you, they've slandered you, you hear, or that you feel an insinuation, or there's an assumption made, a glare even, just a glare, a cutting remark. You know, the extent of this in the church in the last two years is shocking. It is shocking. 
There's counselors, local counselors in this area. They're talking about how these two years that we've experienced, there's going to be at least five years of repercussions to work through. You, you right now, you cannot actually get a counselor if you want one. There, there's, there's, there's waiting lists galore. Minimum six to nine months. You cannot actually get a counselor. And it, the, the, the impact on people is grave. What others have said about others, how others have treated others, it, it is revealed, I'm talking in the church, it has revealed in the church the depth of our need for healing and a profound lack of humility. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at folks at all. I'm, I'm just, I'm grieved. I'm really grieved. James 3, I thought of this when I was thinking of the James 3, where he says there, with our tongues, we praise our God and we curse other human beings. Out of the same mouth, he says, comes praises and curses. He's like, this should not be. This should not be. So, let's keep reading on. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we see here that this love that is dependent on the Spirit. The presence of the Spirit is a necessity when we talk about all this. We, we must be led by the Spirit and be totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. If we're going to live sacrificially, in our own strength, it is impossible to do this. Impossible. You will not be able to do this. I've started, I've started reading a book lately on the Holy Spirit, a study on the Holy Spirit. And it's been challenging me how I, I read and interpret Jesus' ministry in the gospel and the extent to which Jesus fully operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit is central to understanding the work of Jesus and his ministry. Like, Yes, Jesus, he was given the Spirit without limit, without measure, it says, John 3.34. And that this, this full extent of the Spirit that Jesus received and operated in, see, it wasn't hampered by sin. He wasn't hampered or held back at all by sin. He was completely sinless. And so all this fullness of the Spirit was allowed to flow through Jesus as he submitted himself to the Father's will. And yes, there, there is significant differences in how the Holy Spirit manifested through Jesus compared to us. We are not perfect, sinless beings. We, we are not Jesus in that sense. So we are not going to have the Holy Spirit flowing through us to the extent that Jesus did. But as, as we surrender, as we embrace the way of Jesus, and we're not going to do it, you'll never do it perfectly. Right? We talk about the way of Jesus. You will never, none of us, will, I'll never do that perfectly. But as we do that, we can expect to see more of the presence and the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus is our example. He modeled for us how to live and out of the power of the Spirit. Luke 4, right? After Jesus' baptism, he was full of the Holy Spirit. After that, after the temptation with, with Satan in the desert, it says Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. 
I'm not saying we, we won't match Jesus in that regard. You'll never match him in that regard. But it is the way modeled for us to walk and live by the Spirit. That's what Romans 8 so brilliantly articulates for us, this, this life in the Spirit. Lives that are led and controlled by the Spirit. In fact, Romans 8.12 says that we have an obligation not to live out of our sinful ways, but by the Spirit. It's a posture and a response that says, I recognize my need to be fully dependent on the Spirit to live the way of Jesus. Not, not like sort of dependent or kind of dependent. Like, like I need, even when I don't, I don't do it perfectly, right? You don't do it perfectly. But to realize, yeah, that's, that's what, how I need to pursue this. But I need to be fully dependent on the Spirit. Because otherwise, and this is going back to those verses before, otherwise, I will slide back into ways of living that put me at the center and will abuse the freedom in Jesus that I have. For not led by the Spirit, you will be led by your flesh. There, there is no in-between. There's no sort of like, I'm kinda. No, it's, we're led by the Spirit, and if we're not being led by the Spirit, we're being led by our flesh. And this is, this is why repentance cannot be seen as unnecessary in our lives, because we've got a real problem with habitual sin in our lives in a multitude of ways. And so there's this posture we always have to live with of, I need to walk in a state of repentance. This is why we have a tendency to have really problematic relationships, folks. And the only way to counter that is to be led by the Spirit who will always, always, always lead you to embrace the way of Jesus. And it calls us to humility, calls us to vulnerability in our relationships. Like, yes, Jesus has set us free, absolutely. But it is the continuing, directing, sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives that keeps us from using that freedom to serve ourselves, but rather to serve others. Let's go on and quickly read 19 to 23. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I, I'm not, I'm not going to go extensively through these lists this morning. It's kind of not, not the focus of this morning. But this, this, what Paul says there, what these verses say, describe what living in our flesh looks like in contrast to the way of the Spirit and what the Spirit produces in our lives. You know, and, and for all the effort that we put into presenting certain images in the church and acting as if our flesh isn't active, right? Okay? For all that, that image management that we like, we know it's not the truth. If we are to do an honest inventory of our lives and what is present, we know that we have tendencies, attitudes, behaviors, 
and parts of us that are on this list. I do. And the danger is clearly communicated to us. What does Paul say there? These ways, if left unchecked, they will cut us off from the kingdom of God. They will actually sever us from the kingdom of God. Like, we've got a problem. Right? We've got a massive problem. And this makes us uncomfortable. This makes me uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about these things. No less talk about them with others. We keep them hidden. We might, insinu- we might insinuate that we struggle sometimes, right? We'll insinuate. We'll kind of we'll go there, but not really get real. We don't want to reveal the whole extent of it, maybe. Okay, so, so I, I want to approach this in a positive light. Where we are struggling with that, where there's aspects of that in our lives, where they're present in my life. They remind me of my depth of my need for Jesus and the work of the Spirit in my life and invite me to keep pursuing the healing needed. I have not arrived. I need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. This, there is stuff in my life that is not in alignment to the way of Jesus. Just a couple notes, too, on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and I, I, I think I've said this before, so I don't, I don't want this to be repetitive, but this has been really helpful for me to just keep reminding myself, is that th- these are not individual fruits that, that Paul's listing. He's not like listing like, this fruit of the Spirit's a pear, and this fruit of the Spirit's an apple, and this is an orange, and this is a grapefruit, and you, know, you might have the grapefruit and the orange, but you won't have the pear and the apple. No, no, no. It's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is operating and active in our lives, we will have all of this acting and operating in our lives. It's all going to be there. So when there's a deficiency in my life, it's like, I don't have the grapefruit in my life, or whatever, the orange. It's, it's revealing to me, Paul, you've, you've actually got a deficiency of the Holy Spirit in you. You, you actually are lacking. If, if I'm lacking gentleness, if I'm lacking self-control, if I'm if I'm lacking patience, if I'm lo- and like I'm there on a weekly basis, folks, let's get real. We're there. You, you do not fully embody this every week, all the time. Goodness, if you do, I want to meet you. Be an amazing individual. But it constantly reminds us, I need the Holy Spirit. I need more of the Spirit. Jesus saying, look, Paul, come to me. Come to me. It's this constant reliance, this constant dependency. Okay, let's read the last few verses, and this is where we're going to finish. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is love that calls us to keep dying to self. Now, I just want to quickly touch on this to conclude, not a lot. Uh, you know, this, this brings up this, this question of the conflict of the flesh and the spirit inside of us, right? Because there's this, this school of thought, well, 
I, I've been crucified with Christ, Romans 6. So I've, my flesh has been killed. I, I, it's, been, it's dead. And so I, I, I won't struggle with my flesh anymore. But clearly here in Galatians 5, it's telling us, no, you will struggle with your flesh. And so there's a different reality here. Yes, we, we identify with the truth that we've surrendered our lives to Christ and we've died to sin. Yes, that, that's a spiritual reality that we embrace when we come to follow Jesus and we're baptized and we, we surrender our lives. I've died to that. But we're still battling the reality of sin in our lives on this earth. And so... You know, Galatians 2, Romans 6, they speak of this being crucified with Christ, that we've been crucified with him. But here in Galatians 5, it speaks of our responsibility to take action. We, we sang it this morning. I was like, it was brilliant how some of those words were, I choose to be holy. There's this, this active choice that I, I make to want to live by the Spirit, I, to want to crucify my flesh. And so there's this direct correlation, and I, I think this is, this is huge for us, a direct correlation between living by the Spirit and dying to self. You, you don't have one without the other. You don't have Holy Ghost, Holy Roller living by the Spirit without dying to self. You, you can't. It's impossible. You, you, you'll actually grieve the Holy Spirit because it's all about me. I, I'm living my life. I'm doing what I want. I'm making my decisions. And, and this pride is, is, is that will grieve the Holy Spirit. And so this, this, is, this is about us saying, oh, yeah, I'm being called back to, I, my life needs to be marked by repentance, humility, surrender to Jesus. And this is, this is where we'll end, is that this always calls us back to the cross. Praise Jesus. To the sacrifice of Jesus, he took our sins upon himself so that we would not have to bear the penalty for them. I've got a massive problem. I have a list of sins longer than I could ever imagine that if they're on me, I've got a massive problem. We will go out this week and we will sin and we, there's things we will not respond. We will not live the way of Jesus. And that sin, if not dealt with, will cut us off from Christ. But the cross. The cross is so glorious. Simon Ponsilby, he says this, the cross is the fount from where the forgiveness of sins is purchased and from where the Spirit is poured forth. So, as we take communion together here in a bit, and we'll have some discussion, but as, as, we, as we posture ourselves for communion, I'm going to invite us to remember this is all about the cross. This is all about Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice, the extravagant, extravagant mercy and grace of God that is offered to us, lavished upon us, poured out, offered to us, saying, come. If you're weary, come. If you feel like you don't measure up, come. If you feel like your sins are weighing you down, come. If you feel like you are never good enough, come. Come 
to the cross. Come and receive the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And it's, and it's as we do this, as we surrender ourselves and we admit our need, this is how we can then love for the sake of others. This is how we can be empowered and dependent on the Holy Spirit and how we can actually choose to die to self. But it really, it starts with the cross. It starts with, I surrender my life, Jesus. I need you. Carlin, why don't you come?